0: Almost impossible when people asked you about it. Now, if you're a teenager, the sort of thing that might be the hardest thing you've ever been asked to do would be like to go to bed. <clears throat> if you're, if you're uh, a new parent, the hardest thing you've ever been asked to do, is who's tried to put a baby into a car seat for the first time ever? Who's, who's tried that? That is like actually impossible the first time you, you do it. So, w- whoa, um, I wonder whether I've failed to do the right thing here. Let me just... Uh Yeah, I want that one. Leave that one. There. Go. Okay. Right. What's the hardest thing you've ever been asked to do? I want you to tell me some of the hard things you've been asked to do in your life. One of the things I was thinking of when I thought about this was um, I was part of a church that moved buildings. We moved to a new building right in the center of the city, and the leadership team decided that we would go and visit every single property within a mile of the new church building, knock on the door, and hand them a leaflet saying, hi, we're new here. Here are the sorts of things that we're about as a church and how you can interact and do you know how much I wanted to do that like Seriously, I I would rather just have died than done that. Felt completely impossible. So what about you? Moving to a new country? That is a really hard thing. And um, we want to say particular welcome to so many of you who've joined us from other countries. We're so glad you're here. Let us know how we can help you. Higher exams? Absolutely. Serious. step up until you go higher still. And then they're the hardest things again. Um, Giving birth, I can't comment. Um, But as I understand, that's quite challenging. It's fair enough. fair enough climbing a mountain, waking up for a 3 a.m. feed. Yeah, Um, all the young mums out here know how much um, work and struggle there is in raiding children. Wow, a divorce, moving school, studying again at 40 years old, job interviews, fantastic set of things. Thank you so much for telling me uh, all about that. I've just got to press that button there, and then I'm going to press this button here. I'm on top of things today, as you can tell. There we go. Well, Sometimes, as a Christian, it can feel like you've been asked to do something that's really, really hard. Sometimes, for one, and uh, if I got it right, oh, look at this. Look at this. Who recognizes this very famous introduction? Sadly, we've lost the sound, but it's very exciting. That's right. Well done, team. Well done, team. It's an impossible mission. Do-do-do, Ta-da! Yeah, okay, okay. Boy, we're getting into this too much now. Lately, we've been following the story of uh, one of the key leaders in the very first churches, right? It's a story about a guy called Paul, it dates back about 2000 years, and um, he's in big trouble. He's got powerful enemies among the Jewish people, so he's been locked up. He's stuck inside the Roman justice system. He's waiting for a fair trial. He's been waiting two years already. We pick up the story this morning after a new Roman official arrives and takes over his case, and we're going to get to look at his very final hearing from the local authorities. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you're following through this story, and you're getting a bit confused about like who everyone is, and what's going on, and how many times we do this same thing? Me too, okay? Um. But um, this last chance he gets, he only gets it because he's played his Roman citizen trump card. He's appealed to Caesar, and that means his case is going to go all the way up the chain to the Roman emperor himself for a decision. So come with me to Acts chapter 25, verse 23, and we're going to read together. Okay, it's page 1123 on these blue Bibles. Have you got one of these blue Bibles near you? Page 1123, Acts chapter 25, you're looking for a big 25, verse 23, you're looking for a small 25. 23. And uh, Ruth's reading for us this morning. Come on up, Ruth.
1: Now, this is a a really long story this morning, so I'll do my very best to bring it to life for you. So bear with me. (laughs) So... The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entertained the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him here before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write." Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should, you, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, Ruth. Huge, long passage, but hopefully you're following the story through there. It's quite a setup that the story starts with, right? You get every single bigwig from the city there. They're all in their fancy gowns. It's showtime. Agrippa and Bernice come with great pomp. They enter the audience room with the the high-ranking military officers who would have a different colour cloak and robe and all the prominent men of the city. And then Paul gets brought in there. Paul is in trouble. Uh, he's in Roman custody. There are serious charges against him. He's got powerful enemies who want to take him down. He's been given this last chance to speak. So think for a moment about how he might use it. What, what would you do if you were in that sort of situation? I reckon basically I'd do everything I could to get out of trouble. And what, what would it take to get out of trouble? Well, I want to look squeaky clean. I want to make it look like um, there's, there's no possible case. I want to make it sound like I'm a zero threat. There's nothing, less than nothing, to worry about here. I'm no cause for concern. There is nothing going on. In fact, I have done nothing. I am no one. Why am I here? That's the sort of thing I would imagine. But when he starts to talk, instead of defending himself against these charges, uh, instead of trying to look as ordinary as possible, as uncriminal as you could... He tells us his life story. He tells us how he was brought up. He tells us how he was given his mission. He tells us how he tried to carry out his mission. So let's start by looking a bit more closely at how he describes the mission he was given by Jesus. That's kind of the middle of the story we're looking at today. So come with me to verse 17. What's the assignment he's given? What's the mission? Right. I am sending you to them. Here's the mission. To open their eyes. And turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. There's the mission. The mission's pretty clear. Open their eyes. Turn them from darkness to light. What's the problem here? Well, the, the, the problem is that Paul knows this is not just hard But this is impossible. Writing to one of the churches he started along the way and the journeys he's been on up to this point, he says this, he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. So his mission, right, was by Jesus. He says, go and open eyes. But the eyes are, are blind. They've been blinded and it's worse than that. It's not as simple as waking somebody up who's deeply asleep. These eyes cannot, see the light. They cannot see the light. Sometimes if I feel like my arguments for faith are strong, feel like my case is persuasive, I feel like I should just build on just lay this out for people, lay out the facts, the arguments, the reasons, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. Where, where do I sign up? Fine, that makes complete sense. When I think like that, I'm going wrong because we're trying to open blind eyes. This is going to take a miracle not just a good presentation of the facts or a clear argument because only God can open blind eyes. In that same letter that we're looking at here, a little bit later on, Paul goes on to celebrate. That's exactly what God did for him. A, a miracle, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, few verses later. God who said, let shine out, light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. He's the one who's bringing the openness. He's the one who's bringing the change. So what we've got here is a mission impossible and we all know how you go about pulling off an impossible mission right obviously what you need is a martini some tech gadgets and a fast car how does Paul go after this mission A mission he knows requires a miracle. Well, stick with me. We're going to look at that. But before we get that, I want to talk about his motive. Because if the mission is not just hard, but impossible, why does he ever take on an impossible mission? Why does he accept something that he knows he cannot do? Well, there's a really simple reason. There's a simple motive here. And that is obedience to the one he calls Lord. Right? When you call somebody Lord, that means Master. It means, sir, it means they have the place and the position so that they ought to be obeyed. That's what he says to King Agrippa, his first reason for why he lived in this way. In verse 19, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. But I want to bring this right down to you and me before we go any further. You probably don't have a vision from heaven to fall back on. If you do, we'd love to hear about it. That's going to be a cool story. Um, But I don't want you to be in any doubt that every follower of Jesus shares the same mission. This is foundational to what we're about as a church here at Hope City. Now, Jesus famously gives his disciples their marching orders in something the Christians call the Great Commission. Jesus came to them, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he tells them, this is what they're meant to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, pretty plain that Jesus' first disciples are to go and try and make further disciples. That's pretty obvious. A disciple... Simply a person who follows the teachings of somebody with an intent to become like that person. Follow somebody with the intent to become like them. So disciples of Jesus are trying to follow Jesus with the intent of becoming like Jesus. That's their mission. That's their marching orders. But then notice with me here that Jesus tells them part of making these new disciples is teaching them to obey everything. Jesus commanded. Everything. Well, It's pretty clear that everything has to include this command right here. Everything's got to include this as well. So they, as they're making disciples, are going to teach those disciples that it is also their job to go and make disciples. Or think about this another way, okay? Jesus is the pattern for his followers. He's what we're trying to become like. He's the archetype. He's the original. He's the best. He was a man on a mission. In today's passage, we read the Messiah, that's the promised rescuer or deliverer. That's Jesus, of course. The Messiah would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Jesus is bringing this message. He's the first one to have the mission. And in John 20, 21, he passes that baton to his disciples. And they, in turn, pass it on to us for our generation. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So also I am sending you. It's like like for like, apples for apples, not apples for oranges. Amazingly, crazily, Jesus has enough faith in us to entrust this critical mission that's at the heart of his plan for the world to us. What's he doing? He has more faith in us than we have in ourselves, I think. But we have to make no mistake, we should have no doubt that Christians were sent on a mission like Jesus, like Paul. Who's seen the Blues Brothers? If you've not seen the Blues Brothers, absolute classic comedy about some musicians desperately trying to make money and their famous phrase is, we're on a mission from God. Well, well, <clears throat> Christian, get your sunglasses out because you in fact are on a mission from God, literally. And I can tell you it should be the most important thing in your life because this is the most important thing in the world. Accept your mission. Don't ignore it. So Paul's, Paul's motive what we're talking about, Paul's motive for his mission. Why does he take on an impossible mission? Obedience. Why should we take on an impossible mission like that? Uh, obedience. It's the f- but I think there's more as well. Look at the end of Jesus' mission definition for Paul in verse 18 there. Look at the end of it, right? I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Then you get this big, so that. So that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I think there's another motive that should drive us here. And I think this one's really important for us to get our arms and our heads around. And it's love. Love for those we're trying to reach. Love for those we're trying to help meet Jesus. Jesus himself tells us what it means to know him as saviour and lord in this little passage here right it means forgiveness of sins that means every wrong you ever done every good you've left undone every thoughtless word every evil thought truly and finally forgiven so that you are perfectly right with god washed whiter than snow is how the bible describes it perfectly clean but not just that it says forgiveness of sins and a place a place among God's people. Literally, that's like an inheritance or a share reflecting the amazing offer Jesus makes to us of becoming a part of God's family, being adopted into God's family as his own child. See, it's the family who shares in the inheritance, right? You share in the inheritance when you're in the family. In a world filled with loneliness, in a world with so many lives driven by a desperation to find some sense of belonging, Who am I? What am I a part of? Jesus offers an everlasting, a profound belonging, which can start right now. And that is a belonging to God's family, being a part of God's family. Now, if you loved someone, if you even just cared about them just a tiny little bit, wouldn't you want this for them? Wouldn't you want to share this for them? Love and care for those around us, even even just a little care should be, motive enough for us to desperately want to share this hope. So, do you love? Do you care? There's a motive. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here today, well, does this help explain why it's such a big deal for us to try and share what we believe with the people around us? Because we care. We care about you. If we didn't try and share it with you, that would say we didn't care. So we've got this Mission, open blind eyes, impossible. Got these motives, powerful motives, obedience to command, love and care. Where do we go from here? The last point I think we have from today's passage is method. At least this morning, there's so much in there. I could have gone on 900 hours. You'll be glad when I finish. Um, Paul shares our mission. Paul shares our motives. So what's his method? Does he just shrug and go like mission impossible? You know what we need here? A hero. Can somebody get Tom Cruise? You know, is, is, is that what he's thinking? No. As he continues to tell his story, we hear about what he did. And we hear that he spoke. Verse 20. First in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, all Judea, then to the rest, to the ends of the earth, he spoke. Testifying as a witness to what he's seen and what he knows of Jesus uh, he spoke preaching, people should repent, they should turn, they should demonstrate it's a real turning through their behaviour. Uh, he spoke and as we've been following his story through the last few months, we see sometimes it was well received. Uh, sometimes there's little to no response. Sometimes all he gets in return is hatred. Uh, even in this moment, right, he's before the rich and the powerful who've assembled He pursues this mission in the same way by speaking. So if this is your mission, if you share this mission, then speaking has to be part of your method. We speak, we're called to speak. Paul's speaking here until he's cut off by Festus, shouting, you are out of your mind, which, by the way, is a response we probably need to expect we'll get from some people too. Look again at Jesus giving Paul his marching orders, right? Get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you, appoint you as a servant and as a witness. A witness of what you've seen and will see of me. Now witnessing is one of these terms Christians use to mean talking about Jesus. In some circles it's a kind of more old-fashioned term. But what, what does it really mean? What does it mean to be a witness? It means, well, think about witnessing court. What do they do? I saw the guy with the stripy swag bag climbing over the fence. I saw him. They testify to their experience. That's what witnesses do. They talk about what they saw. They talk about what happened to them, what they've experienced. That's witness or testimony. That is a big part of the speaking that we are called to. I think it's really helpful for us to press on what it actually means to be a witness. You see, trying to share our faith with the people around us can feel really hard. It can feel like you need lots of training, lessons, uh, like you need to master some educational system, like it's going to be complicated, you need to be precise and really complete. But being a witness, being a witness, simply talking about your own experience, simply talking about what's happened to you, that feels quite different to me. And notice what Paul's been doing in what we read today. That's exactly what he's been doing in this courtroom scene that we've been looking at. He's telling his story. We could break the passage. We could break his story down into three chapters, if you like. You've got this life before Jesus. How did it work for Je- How did it work for Paul as he was growing up? How I met Jesus. Yeah, yeah, okay. And my life now, what he spends his time doing. You want a simple framework for sharing your story, there's one right there. You can make it longer or shorter depending on what feels right for your situation using the same framework. So I grew up knowing knowing facts about Jesus, but it didn't make much difference to my life. One night at uni, I felt God changed something in me. I was suddenly ready to let Jesus take control. Now, I don't have everything sorted, but my life's about trying to be a part of what Jesus is doing. Can tell the story in three chapters, any size. It's your experience. It's your story. You know what happened to you. Can tell the story how we came to faith, like Paul does, or we can tell stories of other times you've experienced God being real, making a difference to your life, like when I stepped away from my big job to go after church stuff. Or simply that day, I was walking along the street in London. I remember so clearly that God was right there with me, just walking along the street. One of the brilliant things about your story is it's your story. Your experience, you know it inside out. Nobody else can tell you, no, you didn't. That's not what you felt or experienced. It might take some practice to get fluent with it and to think through different times where God's been real. It might take some guts to share it, but it's a really simple way of speaking, which is part of our method. So, mission, open blind eyes, motive. Obedience and love. Method, speak. Every Christian's a front row witness to God at work. We can tell about it. But Matt, I hear you saying, what about that old St. Francis of Assisi quote? Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Well, first up, <clears throat> this is the Bible. That's not in the Bible. This is our authority. That's not our authority. Saints are good guys. Uh, we like them. You know, We don't have any issue with that, but... Uh, The Bible's our authority. Anyway, there's actually no evidence that he said this in the first place. None anywhere. Um, From what we do have of his writings, it actually seems he's really up for talking about what he believes, not holding back. Speaking is absolutely going to have to be part of our method. But notice I say they're part. Um, One of the things that's huge for us at Hope City is understanding that as we pursue this mission, our mission, we do it not only when we're speaking, but also through a whole array of small but meaningful steps all of us can take with those around us who don't know Jesus yet. We use this acronym BLESS. We've mentioned it here. We mention it often to help us remember and be reminded of some of the small things we can do. Hopefully, if you've been around Hope City for a while, you'll have heard us talk about it. Give me an uh-huh or a nuh-uh. Uh-huh. Yeah, we've got some uh uh-huh there. there. That's, that's good. Well, BLESS starts with a B to remind us. To begin with prayer. Well done, you get a gold star. Come to my office after church. Um, It's a first step. It's not like an optional add-on or a bonus point. This is foundational. And you know what? That's exactly what we see going on here too. If you wanted to see this blessed approach reflected in the Bible, in our authority, then have a look at verse 29. What does Paul tell us at the end of this? He says, I pray to God. I pray to God that you, not only you, but all who are listening might become what I am. Now, how much does this make complete sense when you think about it? this is an impossible mission? We pray like Paul prays because simply this impossible otherwise. It's only God who opens blind eyes no matter what we do or what we say. And the other thing there to know is that God can open the eyes of anyone. Even the most unexpected person. Even those dead set against him. Like this Paul we're reading about. You hear his story? I used to cast my vote against Christians to get them killed. That's his story. God can open the eyes of anyone. Even the most unexpected people. Even, even you. So we pray. Uh, praying for people who don't know Jesus yet. Praying for these small steps we're taking. Or the ones even we hope to take. Is one of the big things we'll be doing as we gather in our evenings As those resume this week, it's so important to pray for one another's needs and the challenges we're facing in our lives, the things that are cares and concerns of our heart, but also we're going to be praying for our hopes and our plans to share the hope we have with the world around us. It's critical that we pray for our mission We'll pray that we'll have the desire for it because let's be honest, sometimes we're like, eh, can't really be bothered with that. Pray that we have the motivation for it, that we would care more and love more the people around us each day. But also pray that our attempts to open eyes, to do the impossible, while through the work of God might be possible, might be fruitful, after all, that God would do it. That they'd find a place in his family, that they'd find this forgiveness from sins. Mission, open blind eyes. Motive, obedience and love. Method, speak, pray. Finally, one more for you, wait. Uh, We wait. Like another thing that's huge for us at Hope City is understanding the journey to faith is often long. Uh, In many cases, it's years long because we live in a world that is far, far from God. We live among people who are far, far from Jesus. And Paul knows and recognises that there's a journey too. Do you see he said short time or long? Sometimes this is a very short journey. Sometimes people literally see the light in a moment on a road to Damascus, right? It happens sometimes like that. Other times, it's a long journey. Did Paul hope Agrippa was going to come to follow Jesus even as he spoke that morning? Well, perhaps. Agrippa seemed to be laughing off the idea. (laughs) I thought you nearly had me that quick. (laughs) I don't think so a likely story, but some hearts do change in a moment, right? Paul seems to have done the Damascus Road. Makes sense when we're talking about a miracle that opens blind eyes. That could happen in a moment. Sometimes there's so much more to people's story than we know. Sometimes God has been at work long before we ever showed up on the scene and we just get to see the final chapter because every journey has a last mile. Even the longest journey has a last mile and maybe it'll be your privilege to join somebody in the last mile of their journey. Short time, sometimes, at least from our perspective. Long time, sometimes, too. And we have to persevere in hope. Our role is to play our part, take our small steps, see people make some progress in their journey, move somewhat closer. We have to do that with patience, with perspective, with the knowledge that this is sometimes long. But short time or long, we pray. And we pray they might ultimately become what we are. They might become part of God's family. And I guess... If you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus here today, well, that really is my hope for you, that you would find forgiveness of sins and um, that you would find a place to belong among God's family as one of his children. An impossible mission, but what do we learn? Accept your mission, know your motive, work your method. Let's pray. Father God, I know for many of us it seems really hard um, to reach out to the people around us with this good news that we've been given through you. Uh, And yet we want to do it, or at least we want to want to do it. Please help us as a church to keep this at the centre of who we are and what we're about. Please be at work on us as individuals. Making us want to do this, helping us know that it is obedience, but also be driven by love. Please help us to be intentional and grant us insight into small steps that we really can take that might make a difference to those around us. I pray for those here today who are still exploring, still wandering, still on this journey. I want to pray you would open blind eyes there. And that you would bring that journey to an end, to a fruitful conclusion, knowing you as both Savior and Father and Lord. Amen. Often we follow up our talks with a song. It's a good way to respond to what we've been hearing. Today we're going to do something uh, a little bit different. What we're going to do is we're going to see if we can tell one another,